Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 249 for the 6th of August, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with John Shire, live from the DEF CON chill-out room in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. It's been uh, a long week with B-Sides and Black Hat and now finally DEF CON, but uh, I think we'll survive. Yeah, and you're not even Paul, no matter how hard I try to make you into Paul. Paul's not here with us this year, unfortunately, so... Uh, uh, we're doing the podcast here, and yeah, it, it is a really long week when you consider the number of talks and press opportunities and friends you want to spend time with and, and go out and have a drink, and uh, you know, it's uh, it, it can be quite exhausting, especially uh, as we've been packing on the, the years to our age over, uh, over time, but um, we did see some pretty cool things and seeing a lot of really interesting progress in, in security, and uh, one of the ones that you and I jointly uh, went to was called Gatak, which isn't very descriptive, of course, no. which is a problem with a lot of the titles of the things we were going to. But this was at um, Black Hat, and it was uh, a guy showing uh, the security of the, you know, the way Bluetooth is implemented on many IoT devices, smart locks, car door locks, all kinds of things like this. And he was doing some, you know, basically open sourced and built this tool, Gatak, that allows you to set up a Bluetooth man in the middle proxy, and, and it's quite clever. Yeah, it really is. I, the, the amount of kit that he used uh, really didn't cost him a lot of money. And the lesson, I think, that at least I took away from that is, is there's no need to go and try to reverse uh, you know, the ciphers if there's any encryption on the traffic. There's no need to try to reverse engineer the protocols. Just stand in the middle of the traffic, capture it, replay it uh, to your heart's content sometimes, and you can get uh, really cool things to happen. Well, yeah, and the other part that we've talked about many times on the podcast before is that uh, most of these products seem to try to knit their own crypto or obfuscation rather than using some of the um, en encryption functionality that's built into the Bluetooth 4.0 low energy protocol. And if they simply implemented the things that are already there in the stack that were already well thought out by someone else who designed a very good API for it, they wouldn't have to hand knit things and they wouldn't be making so many mistakes that made it so easy to manipulate them. And, you know, he even demonstrated different things like the lock saying it was locked and faking out that. So you don't even have to trick the lock to open. You just wait for somebody to legitimately open the lock and then you get in the middle and falsely transmit back that it's relocked. And, of course, the app on the phone or the person that thinks they're controlling it has no idea that the, the lock remained in an open state, that type of stuff. So some really um, interesting things. He had great advice. Uh, I think the paper's available for download. I saw it on Twitter. And so folks that are implementing Bluetooth or interested in Bluetooth security may wish to, uh, to check it out. Yeah, he's, like I said, the paper's available. He's also got some tools available as well for download. And uh, it just, you know, this is like a, a Bluetooth root kit, right? Ba basically, you're getting the uh, the app on your phone to display a different result than the actual state of the lock. So cool original research and, uh, you know, looking forward to many iterations on, on this theme for years to come. Yeah, hopefully we'll start seeing people implement the Bluetooth protocols correctly and successfully, and we won't have to be having this conversation. We Earlier in the week, we were at uh, B-Sides Las Vegas, which was quite fun. And B-Sides has a pretty, you know, very different vibe, of course, than Black Hat, and that Black Hat's getting to be more of the, uh, you know, professional security people and corporates and all this kind of stuff, whereas B-Sides is really, um, the whole purpose of it is about the sense of community, which is always fun. And we went to the password con component of B-Sides, because PasswordCon is, is held uh, uh, for the North American event, at least, in conjunction with B-Sides Las Vegas. And 
we saw a, a paper, um, well, I guess it's a proposal from, a, um, from the uh, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology from the United States government, on updating their password recommendations for government agencies. What, what did you find um, interesting about uh, that talk? Because I, I found it pretty fascinating that the government seems to be kind of coming up to speed with the rest of us. Yeah, and I believe they're calling it a public preview, which basically means it's a little bit different than the normal sort of drafts that they put out. Um, this is a, a way to give the public access to the information in sort of an unofficial way before it actually goes into a more formal vetting process, if you will. And, and you're right, it's the advice that's being given in, in these guidelines is sort of, as you say, catching up to stuff that we've been saying, right? Uh, they're bumping up the password minimums. They're taking out things like knowledge-based authentication. They're, they're adding some maximums as well that you know may help systems not encounter DDoS attacks, for example, from a bunch of password resets, you know, having to basically do 10,000 rounds on, on a password if it's, uh, you know, 4,000 characters long could actually harm a system. So they're taking things like that into consideration. They're also looking at things like newer technology, if you will, like SMS verification codes, and for at least the government workers saying, we're just not going to accept those anymore as a valid form of, uh, of second step verification uh, because of some of the potential ramifications of maybe, you know, having your phone number ported without your knowledge. So, uh, you know, I think they're, they're heading in the right direction and uh, definitely looking like these guidelines are going to be uh, sort of carrying us into the next uh, couple years. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot, of, they, they put a lot of thought into it for sure and they've, they've even gone so far as to say, you know, hashing isn't necessarily good enough, here's what you must do. You must use PBKDF2, you must do 10,000 rounds. Being very prescriptive and not leaving a lot of room for error has, as they may have in the past. And and uh, I think this, you know, it, it's a good standard and obviously in the private sector we're not required to follow that standard, but uh, I'm encouraged and I think people should definitely consider it, if nothing else, a, a roadmap or a template for designing their own specifications. Of course, we also, uh, SOFA sponsored the B-Sides uh, Wi-Fi network and we provided our UTM gear and Wi-Fi access points for B-Sides Las Vegas this year and for the Capture the Flag competition. And I noticed that you even recorded a video from uh, from the from the floor at B-Sides. Uh, you're kicking off a new video series for us? I hope you noticed because you were behind the camera. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kicking off uh, a new video series where I'll be doing things like the live videos, you know, quote unquote live videos from events that I go to, talking about the conferences uh, and the talks that I've attended, doing you know a little bit of like what we're doing right now, but in video format. And I'll extend that to doing other things like talking about news stories throughout the week and maybe going in a little bit deeper into the story about talking about things that you know people may not have considered or were not originally included in, in the news stories and, and getting maybe a little bit deeper and, and providing that voice of reason in the world gone mad, as we like to say, for some of the news that we see out there. Yeah, yesterday we went to a talk here at uh, DEF CON by Mudge and his wife talking about their... I guess what everybody's kind of calling us styled after a consumer reports type thing for the security of binary applications. So they've developed a framework for both statically and dynamically analyzing binaries. And one of the things that I took away from that was really interesting is just their, their concept about it doesn't matter what the source code is. In the truth, in the end, what's running on your device is a binary. So let's look at the binary itself. And, and if you happen to be using uh, an ancient compiler that doesn't support uh, new mitigations and these types of things, then even if the source code is good, it doesn't matter because the, the compiled output may still actually be more dangerous than it needs to be. We need to look at 
what we're using rather than the theory behind you know what's going into the uh, sausage maker we need to be looking at what's coming out the other end yeah i think so mudge and sarah really are doing great work in this area one of the, the slides from the talk was um, showing us sort of how they're coming up with their ratings and matching it up with things that we're familiar with. So the nutrition facts label on foods and the energy guide and the uh, stickers that you get you know, when, with cars with their miles per gallon and their safety ratings. So they're taking all those different elements of um, rating the way that things act statically and dynamically uh, so that we can basically have a better idea of the code that we're buying. Is it secure or not based on some objective measures that they've put together? And, and then you can compare across platforms, uh, so you can compare operating systems to each other, you can compare uh, applications to each other, and then you, and you can compare applications running on one operating system to the same application running on a different operating system and get vastly different results, as we saw, for example, with the uh, Firefox example, where ASLR was implemented on one platform, but it wasn't on another. So for those particular things, you know, it's, it's really cool to be able to, to look at that and say, all right, well, maybe, I'm going to choose a different browser or a different document platform in order to on this particular operating system because it's just that much more secure. Well, yeah, and I think the example there, of course, was Firefox not being compiled with ASLR enabled on Mac OS X, and it was a surprise even apparently to the Firefox team that they weren't doing it. And and it's one of those things that you know, looking at that result, if you're really concerned about security on OS X, you probably ought not to run Firefox right now. You ought to stick with Chrome or Safari. Although the Firefox team, of course, are working diligently to improve that situation and fix it, which is exactly why this testing is cool. They didn't know there was a problem. We discovered it through the, the testing. Um, they're even using uh, a, a lot of uh, mathematical predictions to not necessarily have to do, you know, like a dynamic analysis and have to, you know, run every binary through a month worth of tests. You know, they could do certain types of tests and then predict the rest of the uh, the outcomes reasonably accurately. And then if there's an anomaly somewhere along the way, they can always go back, figure out why, and then add that into their mathematical proof that, that helps them do this so it was it was really interesting stuff I think all of that's going to be published online very soon um, I think it's called CITL so you may want to Google that and, and check out the information now that it's been made public I sat in on a, a, a talk by uh, Paul Vixie who's one of the co-founders of ISC the people who wrote the, um, the, the the world's most popular DHCP daemon and of course the bind DNS server and uh, Paul was doing more research on DNS as he's been doing for many years and I thought it was kind of interesting that um, he was looking at the billions of DNS requests per day that his organization uh, processes on behalf of their clients and through some sensors they've got deployed and uh, looking at NX domains or basically uh, you know domain not found lookups uh, across that data set to originally looking to see if uh, uh, people might be using it as a way to steal others' domain names they may be interested in, right? You come up with a new company name and you're like, oh, what do I call it? Maybe I'll call myself Verizon. And you go out there and you go, you know, ping verizon.com just to see if somebody bought it maybe or that type of thing. Or maybe you punch it into your web browser. And of course, if it's not available, you get an NX domain. And he was thinking maybe that, that uh, people might try to snap up those domains and buy them if they see people looking for them. But what he actually found was command and control traffic. When you have a domain generation algorithm on an infected computer that's looking for its command and control server, it'll often generate 10, 20, 50, 100 domains every day that it tries to contact to see if one of them is the criminal listening for the victims to contact them so the criminal can send them commands but of course the criminals you know out of 50 may only register one or two or three domains so those other 47 are all going to show up as NX domain records in his data set he showed some examples of you know some clearly c2 traffic domains showing up in in his research with you know like 
uh, seven or eight, nine random letters dot ru or dot you know info or you know etc. So uh, I think that's something that uh, more and more organizations should be looking into on their networks. Right, run your own DNS servers. Make sure your firewalls don't allow your users to go around your DNS servers out to things like 8.8.8.8. And as a result, that allows you to then mine that DNS traffic and look at all the NX domain lookups for a day or a week or a month, and you're probably going to be able to spot infected machines quite easily that are trying to contact domains that are randomly generated. They're going to stick out in your in your in your traffic. Did you um, did you have anything interesting that you went to that uh, uh, you might want to comment on? Yeah, I, I attended a talk at Black Hat. Was uh, it was one of these talks that was uh, sort of hinted at prior to uh, to the conference, and we actually wrote a little bit about that on Naked Security. Uh, basically, it's this this hooking um, engine talk that uh, featured Microsoft Detours uh, as one of the prominent um, hooking engines that uh, they found vulnerabilities in. You know, th these researchers did some, some really interesting work. When, when you're hooking on the operating system, you're, th there's actually these hooking engines that you can employ that are already built, purpose-built, to be able to, to hook the kernel and to hook certain areas of the operating system so you don't have to build your own hooks yourself. So, what they were specifically looking at is those types of things. And like I said, Detours is one of them, there's some other ones out there. And in their research, what they found was there are six uh, vulnerabilities that they found of different sorts that allowed for uh, pretty much uh, you know, remote code execution and, and, and own total ownership of the system uh, once you had exploited these vulnerabilities. Um, of the six, there were two that they rated very high. One or two were high and two were medium. They had a, a table listing all of the different vendors that were affected by this, that had that were using these hooking engines in their products and therefore their products being affected by this. And they weren't just security products, they were uh, all sorts of different types of products in there as well, some anti-exploit products, uh, you know, Microsoft's App V was in there, so uh, the, the one that everybody was hoping to hear details about was obviously Detours. Uh, they would not share the details uh, because the patch uh, is going to be available in September, so they will share those details post-patch release. Uh, so, you know, another example of, of good responsible disclosure by the researchers here. But, um, so in September, after that patch drops, we'll be able to get a little bit more detail on how Detours is impacted by this uh, particular set of vulnerabilities. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the theme that both of us um, saw at all the events this year is, it's a, um, you know, the, it, in the past, in particular here at DEF CON, the theme has always been drink all the beer and hack all the things. We all have a fantastically fun time hacking all the things. And you know, there's a tamper-evident village where you have to um, get your way through tamper-proof seals into a package, back out, put it all together, and make it look like it was never tampered with to begin yeah. with. There's the lockpick village, there's the car hacking village, there's... Uh, there's a, a biohacking village now, bio a crypto village. village. I mean, the villages seem to grow uh, every year. Well, and we love hacking all the things, but what I'm getting to more is that we're not just hacking all the things. This year I've seen a lot more of, uh, here's what we might go about, how we might go about fixing all the things. And that's really encouraging. I mean, you know, Mudge's research is about identifying where our weak spots are and allowing us to make better choices and perhaps even allowing some of us that may not be aware that we've made mistakes, that we've made them and go back and fix them, right? Just like the Firefox team or the Bluetooth thing, right? It's, it's, it's not just so I can demonstrate that, yes, I can get into your house through your smart door lock. It's also about working with vendors and saying, hey, there is a correct way to do this, and it wouldn't allow this, and we really need to get on that, and here are some tips on how we can go do that, right? In every way, it seems like the conferences have grown up a little bit and understand that while it's great that we broke something, the truth is it's much, much harder to defend and fix sometimes. Uh, in fact, yesterday, you and I saw a, a guy uh, hack some smart locks on a 
on a safe, a gun safe, I believe it was, uh, by simply hooking up some probes to the, the battery contacts. And, you know, that type of thing, turns out, is quite easy to fix. Yeah. And, and, and the researcher proposed the fixes along with him right. demonstrating to all of us how easy it was to do, which is quite, you know, a, a good balance of, hey, we've made a mistake, now let's not do that again. Here's what you gotta do to not do that. You know, here's what you gotta do to stop me from these attacks. Yeah, I broke it, now here's how, here's a potential solution to fixing it. And uh, you know, the, the underlying theme with a lot of these talks that we saw at all the conferences, sort of this iterative security, right? We're, we're not finding the massive zero day, you know, everything bugs that are gonna bring down, you know, the sky is falling type of bugs, right? We're, we're finding new exploits and new techniques to maybe some older vulnerabilities. And to me, it seems to be pointing to a, a maturity model where because we are doing this work year after year, decade after decade now, we are making these systems stronger. And so the, the level of knowledge required to, uh, to pop an exploit, for example, both on the researcher and the attacker side is, is going up. And so that means that the attack surface is shrinking and it's making it a lot harder for certain systems to be attacked because of all the good work that's being done iteratively over the years. Yeah, if you're a vendor that wants to continually to ship horribly insecure products, you're gonna have to keep putting your head deeper and deeper into the sand. You better get a shovel. <laughs> Uh, and on that note, I'll conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 249. As always, our podcasts are available uh, on Naked Security. They're in the RSS feed. They're on iTunes. They're on the TuneIn app and the Google Play Store. Anywhere else you find, find podcasts. For the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sofas.com. And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>